Team.com. The teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA, because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Pitch. Swing ground ball toward the middle, and it sneaks through for a base hit. Here comes Kinder for left for home with a winning run. The throw far too late, and the Yankees win it 6-5. to five. Josh Donaldson in his Yankee debut singles up the middle, a hard ground ball, and the Yankees down 3-0 after half an inning win in 11. New York 6 and Boston 5. <laughs> that is just an infuriating season opening loss just infuriating to lose like that on opening day for your Boston Red Sox 6-5 in 11 innings Josh Donaldson there with the walk-off single to score the game-winning run in the bottom half I am Brady Farkas it is a Friday it is the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com it's not the worst loss in the world it's just one game. It's one of 162. It's early. All the cliche, all the cliches, they're all true. That said, just absolutely infuriating. 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. You can get in all show long. Buster Olney's gonna join us in about 15 minutes. I, I just I don't even know what to say. I'm trying not to like get so worked up because I know it's game one. Really good teams are going to lose game one all the time. The Chicago White Sox are a World Series favorite. They lost a game on a, a play where A.J. Pollock dropped a pop-up and hit, hit off the fence. He rebounded and caught it, but the ump said it hit the fence and it was a walk-off. Like, good teams are going to lose on day one. That's just the way it goes. That said, this was a game in which you never should have lost. If you are the Red Sox, you never should have lost this game. The Red Sox just lost a game where they were up three to nothing, where they were up four to three, where they were up five four. They blew the lead three separate times in this game. The Red Sox just lost a game where they scored three first inning runs off Garrett Effing Cole. You get Garrett Cole on the ropes in the first inning and you can't close the deal. Aaron Boone used a zillion relievers, and you basically couldn't get to any of them. You lost a game in which your starter, Nathan Evaldi, actually went five innings. We've been prepared for this short spring training to yield us like three and four inning appearances from starters, and Nathan Evaldi actually went five. You got a good start in your opener, and you wasted it. And you wasted what was a really good relief appearance by Garrett Whitlock. Yes, I know he gave up the homer to LeMayhew, but it was a great start from Evaldi. It was a great relief appearance from Whitlock, and you wasted all of it. I can't get past that even if it's day one. And yes, these games don't mean that much in April, and yes, it's early, but it may not mean a whole lot in April, but when it's September and you're trying to ward off a team 
by one game in the wild card like you were last year, you're going to remember games like this. These are the games that make a difference come September. It may not matter to you in April, but when you look at the standings and you see that it's October 2nd and you're playing the Washington Nationals and you're battling out the Yankees, Mariners, and Blue Jays for the final wild card spot, and if you miss it by a game, you're going to think back to a game just like this and be like, how did we lose it? We got to Garrett Cole for three runs before there was even an out, and we lost. We had a 3-0 lead. We had a 4-3 lead. We had a 5-4 lead, and we could not close the deal. We had a runner at second and nobody out in the top of the 11th inning, and Alex Verdugo struck out, and Trevor Story, our $140 million man, struck out, and then we got the third out too. We didn't even get the runner over, nevertheless get him in. That stuff really frustrates me. That stuff really frustrates me. My opening thoughts are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans. They are online at sticksandstuff.com. They're also located at Swanton Lumber. I've got a couple of takeaways in this game. One, first and foremost, you hope that Xander Bogarts is okay. Xander Bogarts brought in a run in the 10th inning, right? So at this point, it's 4-4, top of the 10th. Xander Bogarts brings in the go-ahead run to make it 5-4, to four, but as soon as he gets out of the box, something happened. Lower body, clearly a leg, maybe a hip. I'm not a doctor. I don't want to speculate. But nonetheless, Xander Bogarts' lower half, not right, and he does not go back out to play defense in the bottom of the 10th. Xander Bogarts is incredibly vital to what this team does and what they hope to accomplish and what they hope to be. They need Xander Bogarts to be okay. A 25-home run guy, a 100-RBI guy, a guy who can hit 300, a leader of the team, you cannot afford to have him banged up. And I was also, I guess I would say mildly surprised that Trevor Story didn't go over to second base when Bogarts didn't come out. They, they had brought in Arauz to run. Arauz went over and played shortstop. And my first reaction was, okay, Story's going to go to short. Maybe they want to keep continuity and they just want to keep building him at second. And, and, and I agree with that. My first thought was, why is he not at short? But I do agree with what, they're, with what they did there. They're trying to get Story used to playing second base. They don't want to start yo-yoing, yo-yo, um, yo-yoing him around, especially in game number one. So before, you know, I, I can bitch and moan about the loss all I want, but the number one takeaway of today is that Xander Bogarts needs to be okay. Because Xander Bogarts is a warrior. He's not going to come out of games unnecessarily. So he clearly had discomfort, was not able to go back out there. Hopefully it doesn't turn into an injured list. Stint. Last year, remember, outside of Chris Sale being injured, almost everything went right for this team until like the middle of August, right? They got hit with a huge COVID wave in August and early September. That was a real rough patch they had to overcome. But the first three and a half months of the season, this team was largely unscathed. Other teams, Chicago, uh, Seattle, Toronto, they all dealt with huge injuries early in the season. The Red Sox didn't. I hope that this is not the baseball gods getting even for last year because the Red Sox need Xander Bogarts to be healthy. 
The number two takeaway, which was very, very apparent, is this team does not trust Matt Barnes. Absolutely does not trust Matt Barnes. We had wondered what his role would be. We had wondered how they would feel about him. And evidently, they do not feel very highly about him right now. How do we know? Well, there was only 97 instances of proof of it today. In the top of the ninth, with the score 4-4, in a situation where you as the Red Sox could take the lead and the game could become a safe situation, Hansel Robles was warming up, not Matt Barnes. Usually, you'll see a situation where when the away team is tied, they're like, okay, we'll have one guy warming up. If it stays tied, one guy warming up. If we get the lead, we want it to be a safe. Matt Barnes wasn't warming up at all. It was only Hansel Robles. They decided that either way, Robles was going to be the guy we were going to go with. If it's tied at four, we trust Robles more not to blow the game. And if we're up 5-4, we trust Robles to lock it down. Matt Barnes was not even getting loose. Then in the 10th, in a situation where you're assuming that with the phantom runner rule, you can score at least one run and it's going to turn into a save situation, once again, Matt Barnes was not warming up. It was Jake Diekman. And then it was Jake Diekman that came into the game. And then after Diekman struggled and you took him out, they put Brazier in the game. and They put Brazier in the game and not Matt Barnes. I mean, it, look, and then at the end, it was Cutter Crawford that came in the game in the 11th. Matt Barnes was nowhere to be found. And I can't say I blame the Red Sox. After what happened in the second half of last season, I don't think I would trust Matt Barnes either. And it's pretty clear they want to give him a soft landing and something to build some confidence in. And they didn't want to put him in in this game, in this situation. I get all of that. But they are absolutely going to need Matt Barnes moving forward. Like, they're going to have to figure out this problem. Because Diekman wasn't great. Brazier's not really a closer. Crawford's not a closer. You went to all of those guys before you went to Barnes. And you didn't even get Barnes up warming up as far as I can tell. You're going to have to figure out a way to fix your Matt Barnes problem. And, I mean, look, look, if we're looking positively, it was a great start to the game. I got some thoughts on Whitlock that I want to get to later in the show, also after we talk to Buster. If you're looking for a positive, it was a great start to the game. They got up 3 nothing right away in this one. I mean, Bo, uh, Devers homered off of Cole. So a four-pitch walk to Kike Hernandez to start the game, and then Devers does this. Eric Cole ready. And the 0-1. Swing. There's a drive to right field. It's high and deep. Back goes Judge to the fence. Looking up. It is gone. Into the second deck. Can you believe it? Raffy Devers has opened the season with a two-run homer. And it's 2-0 Boston. Get chills watching around <laughs> the bases. Yeah, I can believe it. Pay that man. Figure it out. Pay that man. How, how did we get to this point where Raphael Devers is not extended yet? Because that's what he can do. I told you yesterday I thought he was going to be an MVP candidate. I thought he was going to be a guy who could hit 40 home runs and have 40 doubles. And there he is, Garrett Cole, upper, you know, upper, uh, up, up top fastball, fastball up in the zone, and he just clubs it out to deep right field. It was an exciting opener. There was a lot of strategy. There was a lot of nuance to it. The, the extra inning stuff brought about all of its quirkiness. 
It was a good baseball game. It, however, was not the outcome that you would have wanted. It's an infuriating loss. It is just an infuriating loss. You blew three leads. You got to Garrett Cole, and you couldn't close the deal. Buster Olney was watching it just like we were. We're going to get his thoughts on it next. What does he think the Red Sox should be doing at the back end of the bullpen? We'll ask Buster. That's next on WDEV AM and FM. Slide, so reach out now at 802-585-3026. All the insight into everything going on in baseball. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN Baseball Insider and Vermont native, Buster Olney. I'm just about ready to bet the family farm in Vermont. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show here on this Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox are 0-1, just an absolutely infuriating loss to the Yankees here on opening day. Sox had three separate leads on this one. They led 3-0, they led 4-3, they led 5-4, and they ultimately lose in extras on a walk-off single by Josh Donaldson. Joining us now on the phone line, trying to calm me down, is Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Buster, happy uh, opening day, part two. Yeah, that was uh, a lot of emotion in in, uh, in the Bronx for sure. I got to see a lot of the the first half of the game. Uh, I was around the Yankees enough in spring training to know that uh, they were fired up about what Josh Donaldson might bring to the team and. You know, he gave him a big moment on the first home game. Yeah, walk-off single for Donaldson. Buster, my biggest takeaway from this Red Sox game, outside of just praying that Bogarts is okay, is this team does not trust Matt Barnes. And you were around the Red Sox a lot in spring training. Like, let me just – I'll tell you – because I know you're watching every game basically today, so let me tell you exactly what happened. In the ninth inning, the Red Sox didn't even warm up Barnes. At five, at 4-4, they didn't warm him up to come in to pitch the bottom of the ninth. They didn't bring him in if they had the save. They didn't bring him into the tenth. They didn't bring him to the eleventh. They went to the likes of Ryan Brazier and Cutter Crawford before Matt Barnes. How do you think they feel about him? Because based on today, it wasn't very strong. Yeah, and I think that that would be a case where you know I would need more information. You know, I'd be curious because there certainly have been times when I've covered a team where, you know, after the fact, the manager will come out and say, well, actually, you know, he's dealing with a, a minor nagging uh, issue. We didn't want to tell the other team, but he wasn't available. But I would say this, you know, your, your question, any reporter's question uh, about that would be uh, appropriate because of how Barnes finished last year. Um, you know, relief pitchers are like stocks, uh, stocks in the stock market. They can go hot, they can go cold, they go up, they go down. You know, Barnes was so good in the middle of last year, they gave him a contract extension, right? Yeah. Uh, but then he was—he really struggled at the end. You remember the year that the Red Sox won the World Series? Joe Kelly almost didn't make the Red Sox postseason team. That's what their internal plan was. And then he threw his curveball and went out and it looked good. He went out and was absolutely dominant. Um, you know, that's the ebb and flows of being a reliever. So I, I am curious to see sort of how that evolves as we go along here. Early part of the game was pretty good for the Red Sox. They got up on Garrett Cole 3-0 before there was an out. A four-pitch walk to Kike, a two-run homer there from uh, uh, from Devers. And it's something about the Red Sox, Cole does not seem to pitch well, A, in day games, and B, against the Sox, period. Well, I mean, the reality with, with uh, Garrett Cole is, is that, you know, he, he's 
going to be under, I think, the, in the microscope, uh, under the microscope when it comes to Yankee fans this year because of how last season ended. You know, his numbers went down after they had the sticky stuff crackdown. That's just a fact. Uh, and then, you know, to throw out the stinker that he did in the wild card game, uh, I, you know, I was really curious, uh, you know, how he would be greeted if he'd gotten absolutely obliterated and knocked out of the game uh, versus, you know, recovering some and, and uh, leaving the, with the game in a manageable situation. I think he would have heard it from Yankee fans. I think he's kind of on double secret probation <laughs> a little bit with them, um, and which is to be expected, you know, because he's the highest paid pitcher in the history of baseball in terms of the overall contract. And I think Yankee fans want to see better from him than they got last year. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us here on this Friday on the Pretty Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Let's talk about contract extensions, or in this case, non-contract extensions, and let's just go down the line. First, let's start with Nathan Evaldi, because he said yesterday he was open to a contract extension, said the Red Sox haven't even approached him. He's in the last year of his deal. He looked pretty darn good today, Buster. I, I want Evaldi with the Red Sox, but... He's 32 years old. He's going to be 33. He hasn't been particularly healthy in his career. Like, how big a deal or how small a deal are we talking about for a guy of Evaldi's profile? Yeah, um, it's not going to be, you know, a huge contract, like a six-year, $150 million deal because he's had two Tommy John surgeries. Yep. Um, I mean, that's just going to be a mitigating factor in how long the investment, the age. And I will tell you this. Everybody loves him, <laughs> like his work ethic. They love having him around the team. Alex Gordon considered him to be a leader uh, last year. Uh, the the fact that he's willing to talk during the season about a contract extension just tells you about his humility. I never forget when Seth Levinson, his agent, told me when he got that huge deal from the Red Sox. Uh, you know, the agent told him about the deal. And then he said, uh, hey, by the way, what are you doing? And Evaldi was up changing his Christmas lights uh, <laughs> or putting Christmas lights up on the house. And his agent was like, uh, you know, can you please get off the ladder? Um, I, I, it doesn't surprise me he's willing to listen because, you know, he doesn't take anything for granted. And I think from the Red Sox perspective, given the injury history that you referenced, you're going to want to see him at least for – say a third of the year half the year before you engage and I think if they're fair with him then he'll probably want to stay you know let's talk now about Devers it was Tuesday night on WEEI that Red Sox broadcaster Will Fleming said I think we're 72 hours away from an extension being announced Tom Karen of Nesson came on our show on Wednesday and said I don't know if we're that imminent but I think we're pretty close as well and then we find out we're not close at all the two sides are completely far off and we don't know the number the Red Sox offered, so I don't know who I think is the bad guy in this, but the bottom line is they're far off, and it, people are worried that Devers is going to become the next Mookie Betts. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. You know, I think I asked you this question a month ago rhetorically. Who's his agent? Yeah, Scott Boris. Right, who always takes his clients into free agency. So, yeah, the, you know, the one circumstance, the one uh, situation that we've seen where some of his clients have signed before free agency is if the players takes over negotiations. Devers doesn't strike me as being that type of personality. Uh, I don't think he's going to sign before he becomes a free agent. And as we were reminded today, 
I mean, this is someone with unbelievable talent. There would be a team out in the marketplace willing to pay a lot of money, and we'll see if the Red Sox do it. But I, at this at this point, I think it'd be a shock if he doesn't get the free agency. Now let's go down the line again. Let's go to Bogarts because he said that uh, he's cutting off contract negotiation talks, and it didn't sound, you know. Um, like there was a like animosity there, but he just said, I'm not going to do this during the season. So he appears set to opt out and hit free agency as well. Now, he doesn't have as much leverage as Devers does. He's going to be 30 years old, but we saw Marcus Semien get seven for 175 at age 32. So I got to think the market for Bogarts out there is going to be worth testing. Injury here, hopefully, you know, notwithstanding. 100%. And the fact is, is that the last deal he made with the Red Sox, it was a team-friendly contract. I, I'm sure that there's a part of him that feels like, I'm not doing that again, especially when I see Corey Seager getting 325 and Lindor getting 341 and, you know, Carlos Correa, you know, making a record amounts uh, for a position player. Uh, he's going to want to get paid. And who's his agent? Scott Boris. Scott Boris. Yeah. <laughs> so we go back to that again. Uh, I fully expect him to hit free agency. Uh, the one thing I would say is I think he's a little bit like Simeon in that most teams are not going to look at Xander Bogarts being a long-term shortstop because of the, the perception that he he's a liability on defense. But there's so much respect for him as a person in the game, for the type of offensive player he is. And the fact is he can move second base, third base, and be perfectly fine. So let's go to the Yankees now. Let's talk about Aaron Judge. Judge is going to be a free agent after this year. He said he will not negotiate in season as well. Brian Cashman came out today and said they offered him, including this year, essentially what would be like an eight-year, $230 million contract. I got to tell you, I actually think Judge should have taken that. He's he's 30 years old, or he's 29 years old, going to be 30 by the time he hits the market. Like, is he getting a 10-year deal? I, I, eight years for like 230 seemed pretty good to me. Yeah, and a spoiler alert, his agent is not Scott Morris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I look, I, I didn't think there was any chance there was going to be a deal. Uh, he, uh, and from what I understand, the Yankees and Judges Camp were talking in different financial universes. They were not even close. To reaching a deal um, I think you can reasonably argue on both sides if you're Aaron Judge and you've already made a lot of money and you believe that you know you should get a little extra because you're playing with the Yankees and and uh, maybe you know you're, you're looking at what Mookie Betts got you're looking at what Mike Trout got you might think someone might be out there willing to give me 300 million dollars plus uh, and if you're on the Yankee side you're looking at the injury history of the player you're looking uh, at his age, you're looking at the fact you already have a lot of money locked into a, a guy who's going to finish his career as a DH and Giancarlo Stanton. Do you want to pay Aaron Judge, you know, eight, nine, ten years? Um, you know, it's Aaron Judge's prerogative to try to get as much value as he possibly can. And Brady, that's not going to happen until he hits free agency. Wow. Like the Yankees are not going to bid against themselves. And I think from the Yankee perspective, remember that just yesterday, we heard, or two days ago, we heard about Jose Ramirez, basically the same age as Judge. He's an infielder, and typically infielders have higher values than outfielders. Uh, and he's perceived generally to be a better player than Aaron Judge. I think within the sport, he took $124 million from the Guardians. Yeah. So the, the, uh, the Yankees are probably sitting there thinking, you know what? 
we don't want to go too nutty on Judge, given the injury history, given what uh, some of the other contracts are. Aaron Judge is saying, I'm a big enough star where I'm going to bet on myself. Each side made their decisions. You remember, what was it, uh, you know, about 10 years ago that the Yankees passed on giving Robinson Cano a huge contract. The fan base went nuts. And you know what? In retrospect, that was a smart deal by the Yankees. Let me ask let me ask you my my kind of off the beaten path fun question for the day. And I was just thinking about this randomly the other day. Now that the um designated hitter is in both leagues, is it time for baseball realignment? Like should we be cha- changing up the divisions? The reason why we had this structure is because teams were in different leagues with different rules. Is it time to change up the divisions now that everybody is playing by the same rules? Well, there'll be a realignment when they expand uh, to 32 teams. True. Now you have the, the odd number of teams into 30. Uh, Stuart Sternberg, the owner of the Tampa Bay Rays, said confidently today he believes he's going to get a ballpark down in the Tampa Bay area. they got to take care of the Oakland Athletics. And after that, here comes expansion. I fully believe one of the teams is going to be in Nashville. I don't know where the other team is going to be, but they're going to get to 32, which is naturally, as you know, eight divisions. Uh, you and I are not uh, necessarily MIT graduates, <laughs> but uh, I think we can figure out that uh, probably means eight divisions of four teams each. We'll get the NFL structure. So there you go. So Buster only ESPN MLB insider. Hey, I got about 30 seconds, but I was watching you guys on ESPN the other night, or last night with the Braves and Reds. Joey Votto, I don't know how he was willing to and agreed to be mic'd up while playing first base defensively. I would have been scared to death, but I thought he was awesome. So kudos to you guys. Yeah, he was awesome. He, as, as he described, having a midlife crisis, suddenly decided, you know what? I'm going to do all these media elements moving <laughs> forward. He's a really smart guy, and he's having a lot of fun. He's also going to get a gold tooth, he said. So, Buster, we I'm will talk to you. That. <laughs> <laughs> Happy opening day, even though the Red Sox lost. We will talk to you in seven days. Okay, Brady. All right, there goes Buster. Actually, we'll talk in six days because we always talk to Buster on Thursday. Yeah, a lot of stuff about the contracts. I, we're going to get to Judge. I, I I think he should have taken that Yankees deal. I absolutely think he should have taken that Yankees deal. We'll talk about that in the 6 o'clock hour. I do want to get into some Patriots news, though, on the other side of the commercial break. Was Devontae Parker brought in to simmer down Robert Kraft? An interesting question. That's next on WDEV. Think you know sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We do go up until 7 o'clock, so a full show Today, Jazz with George Thomas is next, and George Thomas just walked into me and walked in here during the commercial break and goes, "How was opening day? How was opening day?" He asks. I'm like, "Were you not just listening to WDEV for the last four hours? Did you not just see or hear the Red Sox blow a three nothing lead, blow a four three lead, blow a five four lead, and then lose and walk off extra inning fashion to the damn Yankees? Did you not just see that, George Thomas?" I, it's one thing to be 0-1. Last year, the Red Sox got swept by the stupid Orioles in the first season of the year, and they got to the ALCS. One loss, not going to kill you. But when it comes in that fashion to that team in that little league stadium where Giancarlo Stanton's ball should have been a double, then I'm then I'm PO'd about it. So don't ask me how opening day is. 
and not expect me to blow a gasket like I am currently. That's how opening day was. I was having a, you know, it was actually a pretty easy day for me today. Like, let's just be, call a spade a spade. I didn't have the midday news service. I actually got to come in here a little bit later today. Afternoon news service was essentially canceled as well because the Red Sox game went so long. Like, it was a relatively, as work days go for me, it was relatively easy. And it all got ruined in like 20 minutes. Nah, actually about an hour. It was all ruined. My, It's a Friday. I didn't have to work very much. This should be a glorious day. Instead, instead, Xander Bogarts is hurt. Garrett Whitlock's performance out of the bullpen is wasted. Nathan Evaldi's start was wasted. I had to watch Giancarlo Stanton homer, which I hate doing. And they lost. That, George Thomas, is how opening day is. It's the Brady Farkas show. Welcome back in. Okay. I want to get to the Patriots because I can't think about opening day right now. I do have some thoughts, though. More um, more nice thoughts about opening day. I'm going to talk about Garrett Whitlock maybe in the next segment. Mark in South Hero says, look up, look on the right side. My Your Mariners are up 2-1 in the sixth. Don't jinx that. My Like, my work team lost and my real team is you know, up two to one. But when they lose two, Mark, I'll come back and tell you that's also opening day also is no good. So, uh, okay, let's talk about the Patriots because do you remember last week at the NFL owners meetings how vocal Robert Kraft was about the Patriots not winning a playoff game in three years, how he expects them to be a contender as early as this year? Robert Kraft was very kind of demonstrative about his expectations for the Patriots. Earlier this week, I asked Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio about the Devontae Parker move, and he made a connection between that and between Kraft's comments. And number two, Brady, I wonder how much of that was in response to Robert Kraft, the Patriots, on the last week, pretty much putting everybody on notice to say, I don't want to go through another season where we're not a championship contender or playing for a Super Bowl championship. And people tried to say that that's put Bill Belichick in the hot seat. That's nothing like that. But Robert Kraft does not want to have another chance with Tom Brink before the Patriots get another one. So that was the those were the two responses I had to that move over the weekend. The Patriots bring the wide receivers to help the quarterback and also maybe control a little bit of Robert Kraft and his spirits of going through another season not winning a championship. Now that's a fascinating question. Do you think the Devontae Parker move was made in reaction to Robert Kraft's comments and kind of the pressure being ratcheted up? Do you think that those two things are related? I think it's a fascinating question, but I don't think they are. I don't think they're related. I think it more or less is just a coincidence. I think the Devontae Parker acquisition was really about the Patriots just being opportunistic. I don't think it was in response to Robert Kraft. We know that Robert Kraft wants to win. We know the pressure's ratcheted up, but again, I think it's just a coincidence. Why? Why? There's multiple reasons. One, I think that roster building is not a linear thing. Roster building is always ongoing. So you're always looking for upgrades and you're always looking for people that can help. And I think this Devontae Parker acquisition falls into that category, that you're always on the hunt for talent. And talent became available where you weren't expecting it to. When the Dolphins acquired Tyreek Hill 
And after they had signed Cedric Wilson, it became apparent that Devontae Parker was going to be the odd man out in Miami. This isn't a situation that you could have predicted. I think this situation kind of fell to you. This was the Patriots being able to capitalize and being able to pounce on a situation. And I don't think it had anything at all to do with what Robert Kraft had to say last week. Again, more of just kind of a happy accident. And we heard that Parker all along, he said that he wanted to go to the Patriots. Now, I don't know how much that matters per se because, you know, Parker didn't have a no-trade clause or something, but maybe the Dolphins valued him enough as a veteran, enough as a career Dolphin at that point, that they took into account that the Patriots interested him. And so, again, more of just kind of a confluence of circumstances. I'm sure the Devontae Parker acquisition makes Robert Kraft happy, but I don't think it was like, "Uh uh-oh, the boss is mad. We better get out here and make some splashy move. I think it was a relatively low-cost move that the Patriots made in terms of money. I don't think the third-round pick overall is that big a deal. So, again, low-cost financially and draft-wise. You got a fifth-round pick coming back this year. Good upgrade overall. I think this was more just savvy business. This is the kind of move that we have seen the Patriots make over and over and over again. Again, I do a lot of belly aching. Sports radio is a lot of griping. I do a lot of that. Okay, The show is every single day. I don't get to take six months off and then come back and judge the offseason. I have to be in the moment every day. And in the moment, a lot of the things the Patriots have done, I haven't liked or haven't made sense or haven't made a whole lot of sense. But this Parker move is the kind of move we see the Patriots make a lot that they rightly get a lot of credit for. An opportunistic, business-savvy move. And the Patriots made it. Parker just kind of fell to them. If Tyreek Hill's not in Miami, Devontae Parker's not in New England. But when you see that Devontae Park or that Tyreek Hill gets acquired and that Devontae Parker's going to get pushed out, well, then you can start to kind of lay in the weeds. And I think that's what the Patriots did. So I think Freddie's question is a valid one in was Parker required to appease the owner, to appease management who's not happy about where things have gone. But I, I just don't see it that way. I just think it was an an interesting group of circumstances that caused Devontae Parker to be available and to want to come to the New England Patriots. Kind of on that note, did you see that Devontae Parker and several other Patriots are working out in Florida together with one Mac Jones? Parker, Mac, Kendrick Bourne, J.J. Taylor, Nelson Aguilar, they have all been there. I'm a sucker things like this, but I think this is really cool, and I think it matters for a few reasons. The ability to do this and to organize this shows leadership on Mac Jones's part. Whenever this happens with a quarterback, I think it's notable. I said it with Cam last year. I'll say it with Mac now. The fact that, one, he's willing to work in the offseason. Two, he's willing to travel to work in the offseason. Max said he's going to stay in New England most of the offseason. Well, he traveled down to Tampa just for this as far as I'm underst- as far as I understand. So, he's willing to work in the offseason. He's willing to travel to work in the offseason. He's gotten the crew together. That shows they respect him. They they have um, you know, a love for the team, a love for the organization. I think all of it is a big deal. 
He wants to do it. He's willing to do it. He puts it together, and they say yes. I think that that matters. I'm a sucker for the offseason, but you've got to love this if you're the Patriots. That, hey, our guys are working, and everybody's on board. And Belichick's got to be on board, too. And Mike Giardi of the NFL Network kind of put that in my head also. He'll, he'll tell the guys what he wants. Those guys came to him to work out with him um, because he is the leader of this football team. And trust you, trust me when I tell you this, Bill Belichick is smiling wherever he is right now. Yeah, that, uh, he's got to be. Because you've got a young quarterback that has an it, an it factor and gets it. I've said a lot of things about Mac Jones about how I don't think he's special. I've said a lot about Mac Jones about how he's not Josh Allen and he's not Joe Burrow and you're not going to be able to pay him $40 million. And all of that I agree with or all of that I believe. But Mac Jones from the head up, he's got it. If Mac Jones fails in the NFL, it's not going to be because he didn't work hard enough. It's not going to be because he just didn't get it up top. He's got it. He understands what he's doing, and he goes about his business the right way. And this is a part of that. He commands the attention and the respect of his of his guys. They're willing to give up their off-seasons or a portion of their off-season to be around him and to better the team. I think all of that's important. I think all of it is good. I think all of it is notable. I also think that it's notable that J.J. Taylor was there. Remember J.J. Taylor out of Arizona, the diminutive running back? This is a guy that had fallen out of favor with the Patriots, right? He had that big fumble last year in the rain against Tampa in Tom Brady's return. We really didn't see him much at all after that. So the fact that he's all in, right? Like, this is a guy who I could see being down. Man, coach hates me. The organization doesn't like me. They've got Stevenson. They've got Harris. They were looking at Leonard Fournette. I don't really know where my place is. The fact that he is all in, the fact that he is there, I think that's at least notable that he's not feeling sorry for himself. It doesn't mean he's going to you know, rush for 1,000 yards this year. It won't mean anything when the season starts. But I think for now, just to know that, that guys' attitudes are attitudes of those who are all in and those who want to work, I think that that is notable as well. And I just wonder, and I don't know this, I wonder if J.J. Taylor being there in any way means he's a guarantee for the roster. Because in my mind, J.J. Taylor is a potential cut candidate, right? He was an undrafted free agent. He's not a guy who's on some long-term rookie contract. So I've kind of wondered, like, is he on the chopping block? Are they going to draft another running back? Are they going to sign another running back? You know, they've got Ty Montgomery. Is there really a place for J.J. Taylor? I wonder if him being there in any way symbolizes that he's got a spot on this roster. Probably not, but it just went through my head. I was like, okay, J.J. Taylor's there. I wasn't sure that J.J. Taylor was going to be on the team. Maybe him being there, just maybe, means they think a little higher of J.J. Taylor than I had thought. That they did. Uh, one more note. I don't know if any of you saw these videos out of these workouts down in Florida. Mac Jones is looking pretty lean. He's looking more in shape. We're only three months, two and a half months removed from the end of the Patriots season. He does appear like he's been putting the work in. And Giardi of the NFL Network, he noticed that too. Well, if you hear in that clip, if you played the sound, Nelson Aguilar says to him, 
Mac Jones is looking lean, and that is something that the Patriots wanted him to focus on this offseason, getting leaner and getting stronger. Now, some people look at Mac's arm and they say, it's just good enough, but it could be better. Well, the Patriots think that he can work on that and improve that arm strength and maybe throw some of those balls in the colder weather, in some of that windy conditions, throw it on a little bit more of a line, and he is putting in the effort this offseason to improve that aspect of his game. Yeah, Mac Jones, he, he did look good. I, he looked a lot thinner. Remember, I, he was never fat. He looked like he lost some of the baby fat. He looks like he's got some more tone. It's not fair to say that you know, he was a whale who's lost weight. He just looks like he's trimmed down. He did say one of his goals at the Pro Bowl was to thin out. He said that he didn't want to, you know, he made the joke like, I got to cut out the ice cream. But bottom line is, is he wanted to get leaner. He appears to have done that so far. I don't necessarily think that his arm is going to drastically improve, though. Like, we see it in baseball where a guy will go from 90 to 95 or something, you know, in the course of a year or two, where a guy who used to be a soft tosser, you know, could all of a sudden bump up a couple miles an hour. We don't really see that in football. It's a different throwing motion, a different set of muscles are used. Like, I largely think your arm is what your, your arm is. I think that Mac Jones can make a lot of the throws. He's not special like Mahomes. He's not special like Josh Allen. I do believe, though, that he can make a lot of the throws that are necessary. But I don't think, like, if you're looking for him to have a howitzer coming into next season, I don't think that that's going to happen. He can work on mechanics. He can tighten up his mechanics, which might allow the ball to come out a little tighter, might allow a little more oomph, which can make a difference. But, like, this idea that he could start, you know, if now he can throw it 65 yards, he's going to all of a sudden be able to throw it 80 yards. I don't, I don't buy that. A little bit, yes. A little stronger, a little better mechanics, all of that can make a difference. But this idea that he's going to be able to all of a sudden look like Josh Allen, I don't I don't buy that. So, um, okay, it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, 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 what did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, that's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at only $20 a month. So $20 a month, unlimited car washes. Although I don't know if you need a car wash today. I think the Mother Nature is doing a good enough job of that for you. But if you do want one free car wash when Mother Nature is not there for you, well, just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. That's the number 30 and then 400. Again, Vermont Laser Wash. In the NBA, Celtics lost to the Bucks last night. Sees now, you know, they fell out of second place in the NBA's Eastern Conference. One game left to play for Boston. They'll take on Memphis. That game will be on Sunday afternoon. In that game last night, Giannis had 29 points for the Bucks. And after the game, he was asked about personal accolades, things like the MVP, things like the scoring title, if those things mattered to him. Here's what Giannis had to say. No, he holds you back. Like, he, he holds you back. I really believe in this. You don't get to your full potential when you worry about the wrong things. You know, and I really, I'm obsessed with basketball. I really want to be the best that I can be. And, you know, I, I've 
I've showed it times and times that I'm about that. I'm not about scoring champ. I can care less. You know, I'm not about uh, MVP. I can care less. You know, I just want to be the best player that I can be, and whatever that takes me. I told you last week, Giannis is just so likable. He's so humble, and it's so refreshing. Even though the Celtics are nip-tuck right now with the Bucks for the two-seed, the three-seed, you can't not like Giannis Antetokounmpo. He is one of the purest and most likable superstars in any sport. He's team-oriented. He stayed and was loyal to the, lo- to the smaller market. Everybody wants the small market star to leave. Everybody wants the small market star to go to New York, to go to L.A., to go to Miami, to go to the big city. And Giannis stayed in Milwaukee. And not only did he stay in Milwaukee, he brought a championship to Milwaukee. He gives praise to his teammates. He didn't try to get Mike Budenholzer fired like we've seen other stars go on power plays to get their coach fired. He works on his game. He works on it largely in silence. Even as the fame around him gets bigger and bigger, he remains humble, and you genuinely believe in his humility. The NBA is a great soap opera, and great soap operas need villains. Great stories need villains. The NBA is better with villains. Kevin Durant is a villain. Kyrie, for a couple of different reasons, is a villain. LeBron, at times, has been a villain. But in those great soap operas, in those villain, good versus evil stories, you need a hero. You need likable guys. And Giannis is that guy. Steph Curry's that guy, too. But Giannis is who we're talking about now. Giannis is that guy. He's the perfect foil to some of these league-wide villains. He's totally selfless, just wants to get better, not involved with drama, no off-court issues, not concerned with me, me, me. It's just refreshing. And it's too bad that that Zion has been so injured the last couple of years because I think he could be that guy too. We haven't really gotten a chance to see it, but he wanted to go to New Orleans. He got drafted by New Orleans. He's got a great smile too. Now maybe we've become a little more jaded on Zion because you, you think he should be playing or where he should be working now, but like Giannis doesn't have any of that. He doesn't have any of that. Giannis is just a humble guy, and you believe it. In a league that needs villains, you also need heroes. And Giannis, even as we bet, we're coming out of the final weekend of the regular season, you can't find anything to not like about Giannis. Miami has a two-game lead on Milwaukee. The Bucks have a half-game lead on the Celtics. The Celtics have a half-game lead on the 76ers. Uh, C's are going to, again, finish up against Memphis. As for the Bucks, they're going to finish out their season with Detroit tonight, Cleveland on Sunday. And then as for Philly, who you would love to see lose twice if you're the Celtics, uh, Indiana tomorrow and Detroit on Sunday. So by Monday, we will know exactly where uh, we will be at in the NBA playoff picture, who the Celtics will play. I told you, I'm rooting for Chicago. Chicago is who I'm rooting for. Like That's the team I want the Celtics to match up against. I want to avoid Brooklyn. I want to avoid, you know, I wouldn't, I don't really want to play Atlanta. I don't know. I don't, I guess it, no, I think Atlanta can only finish as the eight. So I think the Celtics are clear of them. Chicago's the team that I want to play. They are, they are just the most ripe for the taking. 
It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, we talked about this with Buster Olney of ESPN uh, when he was with us in the last hour. The contract extension situations with both the Red Sox and Yankees are tenuous at best. Devers, Bogarts, Judge, they've all turned contract extensions down. And there's another one we haven't talked about much. Nathan Avaldi. what did he have to say? I'll tell you, that's next on DEV. Let's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV. We did get a text on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line saying Giannis is awesome. Yes, Giannis is awesome. And look, I was very happy last year that once the Celtics were out that the Bucks went on to win the uh, win the championship by beating Phoenix. And who knows, we could get that same matchup again because Phoenix just absolutely loaded. They ran away with the West this year. So uh, the show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. Pro Driver Training is Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. Let's talk a little bit more about contract stuff when it comes to the Red Sox and Yankees. And if you are just joining us, opening day today, Yankees beat the Red Sox 6-5 in walk-off single fashion as Josh Donaldson got to uh, Cutter Crawford. Now remember, we got the extra inning phantom runner rule, which I like it. And we saw a lot of strategy, a lot of urgency, a lot of kind of fun nuances in the game. I wish it was happening in like the 12th inning, but all in all, I still think the rule is fun. It adds a lot to the game. I just would like to see it a little bit later. So we know that the Red Sox offered a contract extension to Devers. He turned it down. We know that the team offered a contract extension to Xander Bogarts, and he turned it down. And then yesterday, Nathan Evaldi said the team has not approached him about a potential contract extension. Um, you know, I have, I have, we didn't have a chance really to talk about it. I don't know if it was in the plan or not. Um, I mean, I'd be willing to, but, you know, again, I want to make sure I go out there and focus on what I have to do, and as long as I'm able to go out there and take care of, you know, my business out there, it should make it easier for them to make the decision that they choose. While I don't understand the inability to get Devers signed, and I don't like the inability to get Bogart signed, I do understand the Red Sox having some hesitance when it comes to Nathan Evaldi. I, I really do. He's 32 years old. He'll be 33 heading into next season. And we've seen enough examples of older pitchers just not holding up well. Felix Hernandez did not hold up well. Clayton Kershaw, while he's been good, his back has been very, very laborious the last couple of years. Chris Sale, David Price, Jacob deGrom. It has happened time and time and time again where older pitchers have broken down. I understand the Red Sox not wanting to rush into another long-term commitment with a guy who's 32 and going to be 33 next year. Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer were the outliers of the older pitchers club. Scherzer, he lived up to his deal in Washington. He's banged up now. Verlander had Tommy John surgery, although again, he was awesome through, you know, it happened to him until he was, what, 38 or so. So they've been pretty good. But by and large, older pitchers getting big money, that's not something that I really want to do anymore. I'll say this about Evaldi. I want him back. I want him back with the Red Sox for a few reasons, but the money and the years have to be right. I mean, I can't give Nathan Evaldi a six-year deal. I can't give him a, 
I can't give him a five-year deal. If I could get Nathan Evaldi for three years and $60 million, I'd do it. I'd go higher on the annual average value of a contract than I would rather go in years. If I can get Evaldi for three years for $65 million, I'd be interested in that. I would rather do that. I would rather just pay him than force myself into a very long-term commitment years-wise because that hasn't proven to be a great investment for a lot of teams and a lot of players. If I could get three years and there's a fourth-year team option, I'd be interested in it. I like Avaldi. I actually think this team needs Avaldi, but I cannot, I cannot hurt myself with a long-term contract for an aging pitcher. You see what the Chris Sale thing has done to the Red Sox. It's hamstrung them when it comes to just money to spend. It's hamstrung them when it comes to their overall rotation in general. It that that contract is a noose around their neck. You cannot go in that direction again with Nathan Navaldi. Now, here's the reality, too. The Red Sox really can't afford to lose him. While I don't really want to pay him big money, they cannot afford to lose him. There's a lot of instability in their rotation moving forward. Last year, they plugged holes with Garrett Richards and, and Martin Perez. This year, they're plugging them with Rich Hill and Michael Waka. They'll probably both be gone next offseason. So you've already got two openings, and then you've got Chris Sale, who you're not ever sure about what you're going to get, and Nick Pavetta. Like, you cannot afford to lose Avaldi when you've already got that much turnover likely coming. You've got to be able to have Evaldi, Pavetta, and then hopefully Sale, so then you're only replacing the two spots you've been constantly replacing. Evaldi, I think, is a must-have for the Red Sox. I've just got to find the sweet spot between years and money. Now, Buster was with us in the last hour, and he said, look, I don't think it's going to be a six-year deal for Nathan Evaldi. I'd like a three-year deal, maybe a four-year deal. The Red Sox also need him because they'll have those two spots to fill. Like They don't have a treasure trove of prospects coming. Again, this is what High and Bloom wants to do, right? High and Bloom wants to build the machine so that he can find the answers internally. Right now, the answers aren't there internally. So I can't lose Evaldi and force myself to have to go get three guys from the outside. I need to be able to just... I need to minimize the work I have to do. Evaldi, he's got to stay. I actually do think, by the way, that Evaldi can age better than some of those other guys. He's already had Tommy John surgery twice. So while there are health concerns, I've never heard of a guy getting Tommy John surgery three times. So I actually think his elbow will probably hold up. He's a five-pitch guy now. He's not a guy who only has one pitch. We saw today the curveball, the splitter was fantastic against the Yankees. We know he's got the good fastball. If he loses a tick off his fastball and he goes down to 96 instead of 98, 99, I think he's got enough enough other stuff that he'll be able to play. So I'd pay Evaldi. Three years, fourth year option, I'd be okay with it. I just can't give him a six, seven-year deal. Now, let's talk about the Yankees because their situation with Aaron Judge is extremely interesting. 802-585-3026. 
Aaron Judge will be a free agent at the end of this season. He has said he will not talk contract situation when the season starts, so therefore he's done talking, and he's going to hit the open market at the end of the season. Reports came out today that Aaron Judge turned down a seven-year, $214 million contract. Now, that would have taken him from 2023 until 2029. So really, when you factor in what he'll make this year, which is we'll call it $20 million, really it would have been in effect an eight-year, $234 million deal. I actually think that Aaron Judge should have taken this. I really think that Aaron Judge should have taken this deal. And if I'm the Yankees, I would not go much higher than this. I I really wouldn't. Aaron Judge is 29 years old. He'll be 30 in three weeks. So he'll be 31, you know, next year when the contract really would take effect. This deal would have tied him to New York until he's 38 years old. The Yankees' problem for years has been having way too many older and broken down aging players. If I'm New York, can I really afford to give Aaron Judge a 10-year deal that takes him until he's 40? The Yankees are trying to get out of giving those contracts. And this would put them right back into that cycle. And that is not a cycle that I want to be in. I mean, if Aaron Judge wants a 10-year deal until he's 40, he can go get that somewhere else as far as I'm concerned. Let somebody else make that mistake. Buster mentions Robinson Cano. The Yankees didn't give him that 10-year deal. It worked out better for them on multiple fronts where you know Cano has been suspended now twice. He's also broken down a bit, and he hasn't been available. So, it, I mean, I can't give out contracts until Aaron Judge is 40 years old. It's just not smart. And yes, he's the face of the team, and yes, he's a great player, but he's got an injury history. He's not a guy that I want to lock up until he's 40 when I've already got Giancarlo Stanton there for life, practically, making way too much money. I've already got Josh Donaldson until he's 38 or whatever. I want out of those kind of contracts. The Yankees, to me, they fouled this one up from the start. They never should have paid Stanton. They should have tried to lock Judge up when he was 27. If they had locked him up when he was 27, then I could see a 10-year deal where it's $300 million or 11 for 315 or whatever. I could see it then when he was 27. At 30, I'm not doing it. If I'm the Yankees, I will not. If his big thing is getting paid $24 million a year, or I'm sorry, $30 million a year, then I could go to eight years for 240 to get him to that number. That I could do. That's my... You've been good for the franchise. You're a great player. You're the face of the team. This is a thank you $7 million. I could do that if making $30 million a year is what, you know, is is sticking out to him as, you know, as a, as a deal breaker, then so be it. I'll go to 8 for 240, but I'm not going higher than that. I think Aaron Judge is good. I don't know that anybody anymore in this baseball is good enough to be 30 years old and get a 10-year deal. If I'm judge, I would have taken this. Eight for 234 keeps me in New York until I'm 38 years old. I'm set for life. I can get an opt-out after year four or five to hit the market again if I so choose, if I'm still raking at 35 years old. I could have done that. 
But what is he saying no for? What is he holding out for? Because I, I'm not giving him a 10-year deal. I, I'm just not. Now, Jeff Passan of ESPN said something really interesting about the Aaron Judge situation earlier today. Listen, Aaron Judge is going to want $30-plus million a year, and he's going to want it over the long term. Are the New York Yankees going to give that to him? It depends just how long he wants it. Uh, the, the reality is that they need Aaron Judge sticking around, and they need to do something to get Aaron Judge under contract because if he hits the open market across town, let me tell you, they could use a power-hitting outfielder. Okay, so he says basically the Mets would be in play for Judge. That is the one wrinkle here in all this. The Yankees cannot afford to lose Aaron Judge to the Mets. They cannot lose the tabloid battle to Steve Cohen because that would be disastrous. In that market, they cannot afford to lose the back page battle to their crosstown rivals. That would be a big-time problem. If $30 million a year, like Passon says, is the sticking point, then I would go 8 for 240 just to keep him away from the Mets also and keep him under wraps. But th- this one... For all the times we think that players or, or that teams lowball players, this didn't seem like a lowball to me. This seemed about fair. We take you until you're 38 years old. You get $30 million a year. I mean, I don't think that Aaron Judge is Mike Trout. I don't think that Aaron Judge, when Bryce Harper signed, he was 27. He had that in his back pocket. Aaron Judge does not. So I don't think Aaron Judge was really in a position to say no here, but evidently, he did. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We'll close out the show when we come back. Red Sox lose. One of my biggest fears with this team came true today in this loss to the Yankees. I'll tell you what that is next on DEV. Your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas. That is coming up next here going until 7 o'clock. Let's give you a quick check of the Masters before I get back in to the Red Sox. Right now, your leader is at minus seven. It's the American Scotty Scheffler. He is four strokes up right now on the rest of the field. you got a bunch of guys tied at minus three, including Charles Schwartzel out of uh, South Africa. Sung J.M. out of South Korea is in that group as well. So is Shane Lowry of Ireland. So is Hideki Matsuyama of uh, Japan. And Joaquin Neiman out of Chile is at minus three also. Some of those players are done. Everyone else is between 15 and 17. Dustin Johnson is at minus two. Tiger Woods overall for the tournament is sitting at plus one. He is plus two for the day. He is through 17. So we will have more on the uh, Masters and how things are going on Monday. Reminder, no show on Monday. We will still have the after or the uh, midday news service, though, in the morning news service, of course, but no show because of Red Sox baseball. This early season schedule is very, uh, you know, not conducive to um, a lot of continuity here. Eventually, we'll be kind of in our usual, you know, seven o'clock game time schedule. But uh, Monday against the Tigers, our coverage begins at four ten. First pitch is five ten. A very weird time there in Detroit, but the Red Sox and Tigers will play. at 5-10-4-10 with the pregame show. So, again, we are not on on Monday. My fear with Garrett Whitlock kind of came true today, didn't 
didn't it? This long relief role that he's in, it comes with some real peril. So the Red Sox lose 6-5. to five. And Whitlock threw two and a third innings. He gave up one run. He gave up a tying home run to LeMahieu. Now, ultimately, I thought Whitlock looked great. Had a bunch of strikeouts. You know, he had like a K to nine of like 16 in his limited time out there today. But what I didn't want to happen, happened. They asked Garrett Whitlock to throw 40 pitches today. He now cannot throw for the rest of the series. That's just not the way that pitching works. He threw 40 innings on Friday. He will be unavailable, I would imagine, until Tuesday. That would be my guess. He will not be available on Saturday. He will not be available on Sunday. My gut is he will not be available on Monday and that he would be available on Tuesday. So now, Garrett Whitlock, who is your best reliever, is unavailable for division games Saturday and Sunday against the Yankees. That is a very tough reality. And not only did you burn Garrett Whitlock for multiple days, you did not win today. Like, if you're going to burn Whitlock for 40 pitches in nearly three innings, you've got to win the game. And this was my biggest fear, that if he was going to be in the bullpen, I wanted him to be the closer. Because he would throw one one inning at a time, he'd be available back-to-back days, he'd be available multiple times in a series, but instead, they put him in this hybrid role. He throws you know, longer stretches, keeps him stretched down. They can build up his innings to be a starter sometime. That's all great. But now he's burned for days at a time, and you cannot use him, and you did not win. He is your best reliever. You showed today you have no faith in Matt Barnes. You did not put him in. I don't have a whole lot of faith in Jake Diekman. I don't have a whole lot of faith right now in uh, – in Strom, I don't have a lot of faith in Brazier. Like, Hansel Robles is about the only guy down there that I have any faith in, and even he is a roller coaster most of the time. Whitlock is the guy you trust, and now you don't have him all weekend. That That is something that will... That is something that will bother me. That is something that I, will be hard to get past, that you just don't have your best reliever. And this, this hybrid role, this is the pitfall of it. Tom Karen rationalized it. I get why you wanted to do this, and it does help in the future. I will give you that. Building up his innings count to become a starter in 2023, that is important. But for this year right now, this is going to be the pitfall of it. He's not going to be available now on Saturday and Sunday when you need him. Uh, let's get to a couple of other things here on this one. Uh, Jared Caravis, who used to be at Barstool Sports, big-time Red Sox insider. He's now over at DraftKings. He was on NBC Sports Boston last night, and he had kind of he tried to put a positive spin on the Chris Sale situation. They had a lot of things go right last year. This year, it's the the Chris Sale thing. People, that's like a negative. Everyone's like, "Oh, Chris Sale's hurt again, the rib and everything." You kind of wanted him to take a little time off because we're, the days of seeing 32 starts from Chris Sale, we're not going to see that again. So if you have Chris Sale on the shelf, it better be in the first half. So that's number one. But- okay, so he tried to put a positive spin on it by saying, look, Sale's going to get hurt. You'd rather him get hurt in the first half. That is not what I want to hear. Like Chris Sale's got like a, I think it was a seven-year, $175 million contract. I am not paying him to, you know, when he says, oh, the days of him making 32 starts a year are done, I would love for them to not be done. I am paying Chris Sale to be, I'm paying him to be an ace. 
But at the very least, I need him to be available. And he just hasn't been available enough. So you can try to put a spin, put a positive spin on it all you want. But to me, that's putting lipstick on a pig because this guy is getting, what are we at? This guy is getting $25 million a year and he's not available. That, that is not, I mean, that's just unacceptable. So when he comes back and he makes hopefully 20 starts, they're going to need him to be close to the Chris Sale of old. They're in the best division in baseball. They're going to need a guy who's paid like one of the best pitchers in baseball to be that guy at some point. Um, all right, Red Sox lose 6-5 to five today. A couple more highlights in case you are just joining us here again. 6-5 Sox lose. It started out great for the Sox, though. They got the home run from Rafael Devers. They got... Uh, a hit from Xander Bogarts. They got a this RBI double from J.D. Martinez. Down the right field line, fair ball, base hit, rolling into the corner. Xander hitting second on his way to third. He's being waved home by Carlos Fabless. Here comes a throw to the plate, and he's safe. He scores standing. An RBI double for J.D. Martinez, and the Red Sox lead it 3-0. That was all in the first inning. Sox got some good defense in this one, too, including Alex Verdugo. He had a couple of diving plays today. 1-2 deal. Here it is. Swing and a line drive. Left field. Verdugo coming on. Dives. He made the catch. What a play. Tumbles over and hangs on. Oh, that ball been fine. Two runs would have scored. Verdugo had to deal with the ball hooking away from him. Uh, yeah, left-hand thrower wears the glove on the right hand, and he has a lunch. And Verdugo also had an RBI single to make it, at this point, 4-3 Sox. Pitch. Swing ground ball up the middle. Base hit by the diving second baseman. The Red Sox take the lead. Bogart trots home. Verdugo with an RBI single, and the Red Sox are on top 4-3. Well, it's just one of 162. We play two of 162 tomorrow. That game will start at uh, we'll have the coverage for you beginning at 3.05. First pitch is 4.05 in that one. So the Sox will send Nick Pavetta to the mound and look forward to trying to get the Sox into the win column. Reminder, no show coming up on Monday because of Red Sox baseball against the Detroit Tigers. That's going to do it for us. The full show podcast is available on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. That's on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can go check it out there. Uh, may drop something on Monday on the podcast channel despite not having a show. Not sure yet. It's kind of going to depend how the rest of our day shakes out here at WDEV. But uh, do appreciate everybody for being with us. Happy opening, happy opening day to all, even though it wasn't very happy for us as Red Sox fans. So uh, thanks to Buster Olney of ESPN. He stopped by as he does every week, usually on Thursday. Today he wanted to talk a little opening day with us. He'll be back in his usual spot next week. So again, Full show podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Always streaming for free on the WDEV Radio app. After 90 minutes of therapy with all of you, I feel a little better about what what happened with the Red Sox today. Go get them tomorrow. Nick Pavetta, I think he's going to have a very good year. I think he's going to be important for the Sox as well. Look forward to seeing him shove at Yankee Stadium tomorrow. I'll see you next week.